Zach, can we just dive right into God's Word? So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, if you've got something to follow along with, a device or a Bible. Um, if not, and you want to cheat on the screens, that's completely fine too. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, if that matters to you. If you have a phone, that matters. If you have a paper Bible, that does not really matter. You're going to be able to follow along with whatever you got. Uh, A very, very familiar story. If you've not been in church a long time, you've probably heard some of this story even just in some fashion or shape just because of the moral value of this story, but it goes so much, so much deeper, and so uh, I'm excited to share this with you today. Luke chapter 10, we'll start in verse 25. And it says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him here, here is Jesus. So a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly this and live. But he desiring to justify himself. I love the way that the message version says this passage of scripture right here. It says, looking for a loophole, right? That's what, that's what this guy, this lawyer is doing. He's looking for a loophole. And he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. The story goes like this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Can we pray as we continue in God's word today? God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here together. Your word says that where two or more are gathered in your name, that you are in the midst. And so, God, we know that your presence is here. And so, God, it's, it's bigger than what words we could say or songs we could sing. God, we just want to lean on you this morning. God, show us from your word. Illuminate our path. Light our path. We know that your word is living and active, and it's powerful. And, God, we pray that that would be evident in our lives today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's what I want you to do real quick. I want you to turn to somebody next to you, and I want you to answer this specific question. What was or maybe is your favorite subject in school? High school, middle school, college, whatever. What is or was your favorite subject in school? All right, so here's what I want you to do now. I would like you to turn to your second round draft pick, the person that you did not pick the first time, and now have a super awkward conversation about the same exact thing. So turn to somebody else and tell them what's your favorite subject, what was or is your favorite subject in school.
uh, covering some generalities. How many of you would have answered or did answer history? Some of you are history buffs, social sciences, something like that. All right, I, that's, that was always my favorite subject. I always found that my favorite subject was the subject where I had the most passionate teachers. And for some reason, it's just how it ended up for me. And so I, I love history. I love all things history. Uh, I love learning about that stuff. And so that's, that's where my hand goes up. Uh, how many of you, science? Science is your thing. Raise your hand. Let me see. All right, we got some science people. Uh, all right, and then um, how about uh, how about English? English, anybody? English language arts—they call it now. When I was old and in school, they or young and in school, they called it English literature. All those kind of great things. All right, raise your hand if you're an English person. Raise your hand, please. Hi, everybody. Look around the room. These are the people that correct your grammar, whether you like it or not, whether you invite it or not. My wife is a high school English teacher, and so it's built into our marriage. Like I cannot escape it. And if I say something wrong, I know that even if it's not being said out loud, I am silently judged. And these people are judging <laughs> all of you, and you know that, right? How many of you, uh, you've been waiting for me to mention this one, math. How many math fans do we have? Math? <laughs> not as many? All right. Math. We got a few hands. Everybody look at the people with their hands up. These people cannot be trusted, because I'm not sure that they're telling the truth, because I'm not sure how anybody can literally say, I love math. It just does not compete with me. I'm just kidding. I'm sure you people are great people. I don't know you, but you're, I love you. But I, I hate math. I do. And I, well, I, I say I hate math. I, I was okay with math until they started putting letters with numbers, and then it was over for me. Like, it was done. It made sense when it was all numbers, and then they confused me with all the rest of it. And so in high school, I was approaching my senior year, and I had to have one more math credit to graduate. And so I had already done Algebra 1 and Algebra 2 and Geometry. So the next possible math for me would have been like pre-calculus or calculus or one of those things that would have frustrated me and definitely frustrated the teacher that would be teaching that class. And so I started doing some research, right? I started looking around at some other classes that were available to me in my high school. And I found this class called Consumer Math. And this class was a gift from the Lord to young Andrew in high school, right? This class was not even in one of the main classroom buildings. It was off. I went to this, this private school that kind of converted a bunch of properties together. And so it was in this old house that was converted into kind of a classroom. Like they were almost embarrassed to even have this class at this school, right? Because what this class was, was me as a senior sitting in a class and them teaching me how to balance a checkbook legitimately, how to write checks and how to figure out a tip to a server at a restaurant. It was awesome. I loved it. It was so great because I just kind of skated by, right? And I, I, I find that in life, sometimes when I bump up against some difficult times or some difficult situations, I try to find my way around them the easier way, right? We would call that a loophole, kind of like we talked about in the message version of the Bible where this lawyer is looking for a loophole in these questions that he's asking Jesus. And we, we do this all the time in life, right? We try to find the easier way out of difficult times, difficult situations, difficult relationships, right? When, when a cop pulls us over for speeding, we want him to find the loophole to where he doesn't have to give us a ticket, right? At work, you want to get the promotion without having to do necessarily all of the work that is involved in getting that promotion. We just naturally, as humans, we look for loopholes all the time. But I don't think that it stops with consumer math and with tickets and with promotions at work. I feel like we, we do this in our lives as we follow Jesus as well. I feel like we are constantly, if, if you're like me at all, and if we can just be really honest with each other today, well, I don't, you don't have to be honest with me, I'm going to be honest with you. 
But, but we do this. We try to find ways around what we know God is asking us to do, God is calling us to do. When we follow Jesus, the things that we need to do to be obedient to him, we, we try to find a loophole. We try to find a way around it. And we identify a lot with this lawyer who's asking this question of Jesus. And, and we try to do this because, again, being honest, following Jesus is not the easiest thing in the world. And, and I know that, that there's probably different people from all walks of life in here and different places on your journey with Jesus. And, and I'm so glad that every single one of you are here. And when I say that following Jesus is not always the easiest thing in the world, those of you that have been Jesus followers for a while, that makes a lot of sense to you. That resonates because you know that that is the fact. In fact, Jesus tells us that in this world you're going to have trouble. But the promise that he gives us is to take heart because he has overcome this world that's going to give us trouble. And so he's saying, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be tough, right? Almost every single one of the disciples lost their lives because they followed Jesus. So there's never any guarantee in God's word that this whole following Jesus thing is going to be the, the you know, kind of the magic spell that makes your life perfect. And so when we follow Jesus, it's tough. And so we try to find ways around. If you're new to the faith, I don't want to discourage you this morning. That's not why I'm here. I want to encourage you. But I also want you to know that the reality is, is that sometimes it does get tough. However, it's always worth it. Always worth it. Anything difficult that I've ever been through while I'm following Jesus, I've never looked back on that time and said, man, I wish I wouldn't have followed Jesus through that time in my life. Right? It's always, always worth it. And if you're here today and you have not made that commitment to Jesus yet, you, you're maybe on the fence about things, you're just kind of checking Jesus out from a distance, I'm so glad that you're here. But if you are looking for the path of least resistance, this is not the path of least resistance. If you're looking for the path that you can walk while the Savior walks with you, this is the place for you then. And this is the life for you, and this is the life that God's chosen for you. And so we know that, that being a Christian, being a Jesus follower is not necessarily easy, and so we get really good at finding these loopholes, finding ways around or through some of these things that, that following Christ kind of means. It's almost like we want all the blessings, all the good stuff, but we don't want to have to do anything that costs us anything at all, right? And so since we're kind of all on the same page with that, we're all kind of admitting that that's a, a temptation at least for all of us, Let's go ahead and examine this story of this lawyer who asked Jesus a question, but let's not get judgy about the lawyer, right? Because we're probably the lawyer in this whole story, right? And so we, we sometimes, if you're like me, you read these stories of the Bible, especially these interactions that some of these religious leaders and, and, and people have with Jesus, and, and we want to we judge that person for asking the questions of Jesus, but we, we ask Jesus questions all the time. We just don't like to admit it, and it's not written down for everybody in the world to read, and so let's not get judgy when we read that in verse 29, he says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Where's the loophole, right? Who defined this for me, Jesus? And you can read this however you want to read it, because a lot of times we read of instances in the Bible where people are coming to Jesus and they're asking him questions for a specific purpose, and that specific purpose is to catch Jesus in a lie or to try to trip him up or to try to limit his credibility. And so maybe that's what was happening here. But what if this guy really did come to Jesus with sincerity? Right? Maybe at least in some place in this man's heart, he really wanted an answer from Jesus. So maybe when he's saying, you know, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Maybe that was legitimate. Maybe that he was asking the question that we all ask at least some point in our lives. What do I have to do? And when Jesus said, How do you, what do you think? And he answers, love God with everything that you have, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus replies, that's it, go do it. 
He says, well, wait a second. Hang on. Time out. Can we get some clarification here, right? Because if you're really the one, if you're really the Messiah, then you can define the whole neighbor thing for me because it's a little ambiguous. I mean, what does that really, really mean? And maybe, just maybe, this lawyer was being legitimate in his intent and asking, hey, who is my neighbor? Maybe he was hoping that Jesus would say, it's this person, this person, not this person. It's this group of people. It's that race, but not this race. It's the people that believe this, not the people that believe that. Maybe he was really hoping that Jesus would clarify for him and he could find this loophole because basically what the lawyer asks Jesus is, do I have to love everybody, right? He goes to Jesus and says, listen, it's really difficult. Do I really have to love everybody? And you notice that the lawyer says nothing at all about the first part of the commandment, right, about loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's almost like this lawyer gets it, right? It's almost like this lawyer knows that it's easier to love an invisible God who you don't have to see face to face and who we know loves us than to love somebody with skin on and believes different things than we believe and gets on our nerves, right? It's almost like this guy knows what we know and that it's easier to love an invisible God than a person in flesh in front of us and we have conflict and we have differences and we have struggles with. And so this is the part that he wants clarified for his purpose in this conversation with Jesus. And so he's asking, who do I have to love? Or maybe who can I get away with not loving? Like, do I have to love the person that has just completely different interests than me? Do I have to love the person that gets on my last nerve? Do I have to love that person who hates me, tries to frustrate my dreams? And so this is what he's asking Jesus. And let's just be really honest. Isn't this what we really all want to know? Like, do I, like, how serious is that? Like, when you say everybody's my neighbor, is everybody really my neighbor? You know, like, is that really what you said, which is the question humanity has been asking God from the very beginning? What does the serpent in the Garden of Eden say to Eve? Is that really what God said, that you couldn't do that? And we've been asking that question of God ever since then. Is that really, are you really saying this? Is this, are you sure this is what you mean, God? And so he's, he's going into this, this question with maybe an, an honest heart and, and hoping to hear an answer. And as he is asking this question, Jesus tells the answer in the form of this story that is extremely popular and that most people in this room have have heard before, but this really kind of highlights the humanity that we all have. And so I want to talk just for a moment about this story that Jesus tells in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I want to talk about a couple things that I I think that we can glean and that we can apply to our lives uh, before we close this out today. And so um, this story that that he tells is uh, is a parable, and so it's a story that Jesus tells that is not a true story. The truth comes that Jesus told this story, but the story that he's telling is not a true story. It is is an, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and Jesus was famous for this because what Jesus had to do in a very short time is communicate the depth of all of theology in stories that make sense enough to people to grasp the large implications, but then to also chew on for a while and keep getting spiritual truth from. And so that's what we find here is he's telling this story about this guy who's probably Jewish because Jesus is talking to a lawyer who's probably Jewish. And he says, this Jewish guy's walking down the road. He gets jumped, he gets beaten, and he's left in the ditch to die, basically. These robbers took everything from him. He's lying naked in the ditch to die. And then we, we know kind of what happens next in the story. But to really get the story, We've got to know a little bit about the, the social climate at the time. 
Because in, in this time, it would have been extremely scandalous for Jesus to even talk about anybody that is of the Samaritan race. There was so much racism and hatred between Jews and Samaritans. I mean, it was, it was systematic. It was from centuries and centuries and centuries. It was to the point where if they were crossing the same path on the road, they wouldn't even look at each other. They hated each other. And it's about one of the only times you can use the word hate, and it's just not strong enough for what these two groups of people felt for each other. So here's Jesus talking to mostly a Jewish crowd by this time that's probably gathered around him, and he drops the Samaritan word right in the middle of this. Jesus is really always good at getting people's attention and being just scandalous enough to make sure that people are paying attention and just to kind of flip these things on their end. And so remember, the, the, the question that Jesus is answering is, do I have to love everybody? And so the one place that Jesus goes is the one place that's going to offend pretty much everybody that's involved in this, you know, kind of this dispute or, or this division and this racism that's happening in this time and in this place. And so this Jewish man gets mugged, and there are two people that come upon him first, the, the priest and the Levi. Both of these are essentially the equivalent of, of, of a pastor today. These are people that make their living uh, supposedly caring for people, loving people, pastoring people. And so when they show up on the scene, they see this Jewish guy, and the priest and the Levite are both Jewish as well. And so there, there's no excuse except that when they see the guy, they walk on the other side of the road. They literally go out of their way not to care about somebody, Right. And we want to be like, I can't believe that they did that. But let's be really honest with each other. Don't answer this out loud because the answer is yes. But have you ever gone out of your way to not care about somebody because it was inconvenient? Like, have you ever been in that place in your life where you know somebody needs you to love them right where they are? And it's dirty, and it's messy, and it is not going to be fun, and you're not going to want to hang out. It's not like you're going to call them on a Friday night to go out to eat, but you know that you should dive into that situation and love on those people, but you, instead you go out of your way to avoid having to be that person's neighbor and to love that person right where they are. And so the priest and the Levite, we can, we can get down on them all we want, right? But the reality is, is that's the condition of our hearts sometimes as well. And so he, the priest and the Levite, they go out of their way. And, and there's a lot of loopholes that they can jump through, too, because the way that their rules were set up for all the holy practices that they had to do, if they touched anything dead, they would have to go through a whole cleansing process. And, and that's, a, that's a big deal back then. And they didn't know if the guy was dead or alive. And so I'm sure that's the loophole that they jumped through, right, is I, I would help, but... You know, I would do something, but, you know, it would, it would kind of ruin some of my credibility, right? Like, I would help that person, but what about my testimony, right? We like to do that as Christians sometimes, don't we? And so they, they pass by on the other side. And I love what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said in a quote of when he was preaching on this very same passage of Scripture. He said this, and so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That is the heart of God. That is the heart of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is trying to show this lawyer and us thousands of years later through this story. That we have got to reverse our thinking when we see people in need around us. And so the Samaritan man stops and he helps him and he heals him and he basically saves his life. He puts him on his own animal, takes him to the hotel, puts the credit card down and says, whatever this guy needs, put it on my tab. I'm good for it. And he makes sure that this guy has everything that he needs. And so Jesus, in answering the question, remember, 
Do I have to love everybody? Clarify neighbor. Who's a neighbor, right? In this one story, Jesus highlights, right, the man's brokenness and his need, and he reveals that he is there for this man to help him. This, this guy is there trying to find a way out of loving people, and Jesus tells this whole story that essentially is Jesus saying this, listen, lawyer, you are the guy in the ditch. You're the guy that's dying and bleeding and broken and, and all messed up because sin is in your life, and I am the Samaritan, and I am trying to get to you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to heal you. I'm trying to save you. That's why I'm here. I'm outcast, and you people are, are throwing stones at me, and you're going to crucify me, and you're going to kill me, but I'm still here for you, bleeding and dying and messed up as you are. I'm not waiting for you to clean yourself up. I'm not waiting for you to get all the commandments right. I'm not waiting for you to do all the right things or say all the right things. I am here, and I want to save you. I want to heal you. I want to help you. But this man is so busy looking for an excuse to not love other people that he misses the love that Jesus Christ has for him. The response of this lawyer should have been, oh God, I'm so sorry. Jesus, can I follow you? Because I know that this is impossible on my own. Those two commandments are absolutely impossible in our own strength and in our own power. Those commandments of love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself all the time, 100%, is impossible. And so what that should do is point us into a direction where our dependence is in Jesus Christ alone. That should have been the response of the lawyer is, I, I, I've got to follow Jesus. I've got, to, I've got to be close to him, and that should be our response as well. You see, Jesus is saying the same thing to us all of these years later at Fathom Church this morning, he, he's saying that, that I, I want this relationship with you. I, I see your heart. I know everything about you. I know what kind of shape you're in. I know the condition you're in. And I know, I know that you're looking for, for ways out of things. And I, I know that you, you avoid uncomfortable situations. I know you don't want to love everybody. I know what you think about that person. I know what you think about that person. I know you're trying to look for loopholes and difficult places in life. But I I'm searching for you, and I am coming for you, and I want to save you, and I want to heal you. I want to bind up your wounds, and I want to take care of you, and I'm going to put it on the credit of what I've already done to pay for your sin. And so this, this Good Samaritan story is so much more than just a, a moral story. It's so much more than do the right thing at the right time. It's really about our dependence on Jesus Christ. And, and what if, just what if, maybe, these difficult situations that we find ourselves in and these, these people that we encounter that are just different than us and they're hard to love. What if it's in those moments and in those relationships that, that instead of finding a loophole, what, what if we just kind of dive into those things? What if we just take those things head on? And, and what if, just what if those are the very things and the very people that God wants to use to rid us of our pride? to rid us of the things that, that we have going on in our own hearts? What, what if those things that we've been trying to find a loophole around, what if those things that you have even maybe prayed, God, please, let, let this happen some other way. Let's go around this. Let's go through this. Let's go a different way because I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. I, I don't, it's just, uh, I don't, uh. what, what if those are the very things that God has brought in front of us to walk through and to build relationship with and community with to show us our own need? What if those are the things that we're not supposed to find a loophole through, but we're supposed to instead love God and see God in those moments and in those people? What would happen if we stopped spending all of our time and all of our energy and all of our effort 
in trying to avoid them and just decided to let God get glory in our lives through them. And, and you know, I, I can't help but think about this, this time in Jesus's life, and it's the right after the Last Supper. It's right after he's had this amazing time of, of uh, community and communion with his followers. It's this very meaningful time, and he knows what's coming next. He knows that he's about to be arrested. He knows that he's about to be executed for our sins. He knows that he has lived a perfect life, all of his life, and that he is going to pay a penalty that, that he doesn't really deserve, right? And so we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right after this, this Last Supper, this dinner with his disciples, and he's praying. He's brought a few of his closest disciples with him and left them back a little bit, and he goes and, and he's praying. And, and I love this passage, passage of Scripture, and it might f- sound morbid that I love this passage of Scripture, but I love so much that we see in one passage of Scripture God's divinity and God's just humanity just slammed into one moment because we see Jesus in the garden, and it says that he's sweating drops of blood. There's anguish. There's stress. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's moments away from fulfilling the reason that he's here, but he's in anguish about it. And so in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, he prays this prayer. And he says this, he says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so Jesus is there and he's praying essentially for a loophole. He's there, and he knows what's coming. He knows how difficult it's going to be, and he knows that he's going to be separated from his father for the first time ever, and he knows that he's going to take on all the sin and all of the hatred and all of the junk from humanity on his shoulders, and that he is going to have to, after death, go and defeat Satan and defeat hell and the grave and then resurrect. He knows what's going to happen, and so he says, God, if there is any other way, Father, if there is any other loophole that we can find here. Let's, let's do this a different way because I know what this is gonna be like. But then the end of that prayer is the most powerful part of that prayer because that's where you see the humanity of Jesus when he says, not what I want, not my will, but your will, God. So what if we started praying like that? What if in our, in our honest moments with God, we say, God, I, I, I know what's going on and I know that I'm, I'm having a struggle with this person at work. And I know this family situation is just, it's huge. And I can't avoid it. And, and it's just, it's dragging me down. It's stealing my joy. And, and I, I know that, that this, this stuff that I'm up against, this persecution that I'm facing for my faith. And I, I know in our honest moments with God, I think Jesus tells us that it's okay to say, God, if there's another way to do this, can we do this another way? If there's another way to heal this relationship, can we do it another way? If there's another way to follow you well through this, then then let there be another way. But, God, it's not about what I want. God, it is about what you want. So, God, if there's not a a loophole to be found, if I'm not even supposed to be looking for one, then, God, I I don't don't even want to waste my energy. I don't even want to waste my time. I want to walk through the doors that you have ordained me to walk through. And if that means that I walk against some difficult times and some difficult situations with some difficult people, then God, give me the strength. God, because it's not my will, it's yours. Let's pray. God, I thank you for loving us to the extent that Jesus Christ died for our sins. 
God, I thank you that we get to love you because you loved us first. And God, I pray for the hearts, the lives that are in this room right now. I pray that as we think on your word, as we meditate on your word, as we meditate on who Jesus Christ is, God, show us the places in our lives where we have missed it. Show us the places in our heart that we have asked that question of, can I find a way out of this that have not been from a place of sincerity, but a place of maybe laziness, or or maybe we just don't want to go through some things. And God, help us to see with your perspective. Help us to see through your eyes the people that are all around us. And instead of us trying to go out of our way to avoid loving people that need us to love them where they are, God, help us to see them through your eyes. Help us to not ask the question, do I have to love everybody? Do I have to go through these difficult situations? Instead, God, let us have the faith to know that you're there with us in the midst of it. And God, we are going to be careful to give you the glory because we know that you'll work through us if we let you. And God, we know that you want the glory from that because we know, we know that there is a world and there is a society of people that are begging for true community, true love, people that will stand up for people that need it the most, God. And when they see that, we are gonna point them in your direction because it is not about us. It's not about what I can accomplish in my own strength. It is about what you can do through us. God, give us the boldness. Give us the strength, Holy Spirit, to live for you every single day. God, I thank you for choosing. I thank you for choosing the cross, Jesus, for us. Today, we choose that relationship with you. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen.